as the world seems in shambles, we trust and we lean in your power. And it's in that power we do lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ in the Ukraine. You know my heart, and Jesus, you have pricked my heart for those people for so many reasons. And God, we pray your hand of protection and provision over them. But God, also, we we pray today, God, that as you are in the business of making beauty from ashes, God, would you redeem the situation where there is darkness? May your church rise up and bring light. And I don't know what that means, Lord, but I know the hearts of those that, that I know there, and they posted on social media. In the midst of the chaos, they just want people to know and experience Jesus. Our firm foundation, our perfect peace. God, in a physical war, there is a war for the soul. God, I pray for perfect peace of souls there in Ukraine and here today. God, we come with, with a spiritual war and brokenness unrest. God, today I pray that you would bring peace through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may have, have a seat. You ever wondered what a, a life, the day in the life of a pastor would look like? <laughs> that would be a good day. Chickens? Lots of that. Well, let me give you a 24-hour snapshot of my life. So uh, Friday, about 5 o'clock p.m., We'll start there. I began to put my preacher costume on because I was getting ready. I was putting my suit on. And I was getting ready to go to the daddy-daughter dance. And uh, my, my daughter came down the stairs after getting dressed. Man, she looks so beautiful. So amazing. We showed up here at like 6.15. I showed up here and started at 6.30. Uh, I just want to acknowledge that so much work went into what I stepped into on on Friday, like it was, this place was transformed. You guys, if you weren't there, you can't even imagine what this place was like. It was so transformed, and and there, there it takes a village, right? There were so many people uh, led by Amanda and Justin Coffey and, and so many others, but man, there were there was an army, a village of people that transformed this place. I mean, all kind of stuff. You can everything you can imagine. It was top notch. It was a top notch party we had on Friday night, and it was it was beautiful. I got to dance with my my daughter. You guys know, you guys know that we're there, and uh, man, it was beautiful, beautiful. I'd never gone to dance with my daughter, and I I did learn something, though. You know, I I grew up Baptist, and you know, they always say Baptists aren't supposed to dance, Uh, and it's not because it's in the Bible that you're not supposed to dance, because we know that David danced, and and, uh, for them, it was an act of worship, but but I think it was a practical thing, and I learned this, you know. There, There were a few people in the room that cut a rug. The rest of us tore a muscle. If you were there, you know what I'm talking about. That happened, and, and I, I, I did a crazy thing. I just I took my, my daughter, and when it was done at 8.30, a few minutes after that, I just took her out and talked, and I went home. Why? Because there was a sea of people there to clean up. And, man, it was just, uh, the food was awesome, the cleanup was awesome. They set up, and you guys, who knew it even happened, right? It took an army of people. And I went to bed. 
I woke up, and God wakes, wakes me up early. I don't usually need an alarm clock. So I woke up early in the morning, 3.30, 4 o'clock every morning. God wakes me up, spent my time with him that morning. And I went to the gym because I told you last week I'm trying to beat old. I'm losing, but I'm working on it. Went to the gym, stayed there for about an hour, hour and a half, came home and, and cleaned up. And, and I, we were trying to figure out, me and my wife trying to figure it out what to do on a rainy, cold day with our three kids. That would be fun. So we went to another place, then Incredible Pizza. Like, we can get lunch. We can have fun. And so we did. We had some pizza, maybe not so incredible, but <laughs> we had pizza and some other things that uh, I think I'm still uh, feeling the effects of that, honestly, today. And, uh, but we, we were there for like three and a half hours, and we, we played, and, and uh, we, we played laser tag, and I played some video games. They played that old game Galaga. Y'all remember that game? I was like, and it was great. It's great. I'm not good at it, but that was fun. And I got on the go-karts. And uh, I learned some things there, too. I learned that you're never too old to bump some out of the way in golf carts and enjoy it. <laughs> that just doesn't get old. I mean, got to be honest. That was a lot of fun. And you're never too old to shoot a five-year-old in the back with a laser. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. You would have fun doing that too. That was just, man, that was, that was fun. 24 hours in the life of a pastor. What would it look like to follow Jesus for a day? 24 hours with Jesus. That's what I want to do today. We're unpacking the book of Mark, and so would you turn with me to Mark chapter 1. We're going to start today in verse 21. We're going to cover a lot today. I'm going to do my best to finish on time today. But this is what I wanted to do. I wanted us to get a picture of what life with Jesus was like for a day. Because that's what happens here. Verses 21 to 45 is a 24-hour window of the life of Jesus. And it seems to me, like as we, as we pick up in verse 21, this is Jesus. Like This is our first picture of what ministry really looked like. We know that he was baptized, and, and the first thing that he, that he did was he was led out into the wilderness. And, and, and then last week we talked about the next thing he did. He, he began to say, now is the time the kingdom of God has come near. And he began teaching, so that was kind of his first thing. He began teaching. We don't get insight into what that looked like. But the next thing he did, we talked about last week, which was the calling of the disciples. So he called, his, he called some of his disciples with him, and then we get this snapshot of this was his boots-on-the-ground ministry, his first 24 hours from the book of Mark. We're just going to wade through this. So bear with me. We're going to walk through this slowly. I'm just not going to read. Normally, I'll read it. It's a little bit different today. I want to just walk through Scripture and let Scripture speak for itself today because it's the power, right? I don't have any. I'm I'm completely inept today to bring you anything good. Let's just be honest. It's all in in God's Word. And so read with me in, in Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 21. They went, so who was they? Jesus and his disciples that he had just called, right? They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went to the synagogue and began to teach. And so so if you have something to write with, I would encourage you to circle or just underline uh, Capernaum, underline Sabbath, underline synagogue, and underlying teach. So, so, so where was Capernaum? Well, it was just a handful of miles from Jesus' hometown, which was Nazareth. 
And for whatever reason, we get a little insight that he wasn't even accepted in his own home, right? In, in the city of Nazareth and, and other passages. We get a little insight, but for whatever reason, Capernaum became the home of Jesus' ministry. And so when it says Capernaum, like this is, this is where Peter was from. This is where we, we find insight into uh, later on. We'll get more insight into that in Peter's life. And, um, but, but this idea of Capernaum, this was his, this was his hub. This was the place he would come to that would be his, his ministry home. The second thing was Sabbath. So, so what, is, what is Sabbath? It's the Jewish day for rest and worship, right? And so it was, it was the Sabbath day. For them, it was, it was our Saturday. It was this Sabbath day. So was, the Sabbath came. They went to Capernaum, and Jesus went into the synagogue. What was the synagogue? It was the center of Jewish life and worship. In every town, there would have been a synagogue for the Jewish people, and they would gather. That's the place that they would live life together as a town. That's the place where the kids would go to school. They would come. It's kind of, everything would happen right there as an anchor. And then on Saturdays, they would gather together, the Sabbath. They would gather together to, to have their Sabbath worship, which it would include, it included four things. They would open in prayer. There would be a reading of the Torah, some, some reading of the Torah, and there would be a teaching time. Someone would get up and teach, and then there would be a blessing, and that's what they would gather to do every Saturday. So everybody would come together, and they would, would do that and began to teach. That's, that's what was to happen when they gathered at the synagogue for worship. That's what happened all throughout the week. The, the Torah was taught to the kids. So the synagogue, the purpose of it was, was to be very informative about the things of God. That was the purpose of it. So verse 22, the people were amazed, literally like flabbergasted, blown away. Like I, I use that word too much, amazed. My wife gets on to me. Sometimes other people like I, I I just like that word, but you use a word so much it like waters it down. It's so much better than that word. Like they were, they were just astonished. Some of your versions would say they were they were just floor mouth to the jaw to the floor astonished at his teaching. Why? Because he taught them as one who had authority. That's the word exousia in Greek, not as a teachers of the law. So. So let's unpack that. Why were they so astonished? Well, the rabbis from all time, not just of that day, the rabbis from all time, when they would teach, they would say, Rabbi so-and-so, who was a legendary rabbi from the past, Rabbi so-and-so said this, and Rabbi so-and-so said this, and 300 years ago, Rabbi so-and-so said this, and the way Jesus was teaching, he was teaching with exousia. We get, we get our word author from that, exousia. He was teaching, literally, exousia means out of the original. It, it was, this, was, this was fresh, hot off the press stuff. And so why were the people so astonished? Why were they so amazed? No one had done that before. Like, this was something new. No one taught. Like, he was, he was teaching fresh stuff. And so they were, like he wasn't quoting Rabbi Joseph or Rabbi whoever, he was just speaking and teaching truth, and they had never heard this before, and so they were amazed at his teaching, and that's what rabbis did, by the way, that's what rabbis, they taught, and 
they didn't have a full-time rabbi for each synagogue. They would have these traveling rabbis would come in. If they were lucky, they would have a rabbi on a Saturday during worship to teach them. And they would just rotate in. And, and so Jesus rotated in, and he was teaching there in that synagogue. So that's what's happening here. They're in synagogue. Jewish is gathered together for, for worship that day. And then we pick up in verse 23. Just then, right in that context as Jesus was teaching, they were astonished of a man with, with authority, exousia. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit, we use the word demon, some of your versions say demon, cried out, what do you, what do you want with us? Us. What does that mean? Well, it must be more than one spirit within this gentleman, okay? This man has more than one because not, what do you want to do with me? What do you want to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now look what Jesus said. I know we read it already earlier on. Blake read it. but It's in response to this statement of truth. The Holy One of God. I know you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus says, be quiet. Literally, like, we weren't, we weren't allowed to say this growing up, so it's kind of, this is a bad word for you, I'm sorry. But, like, it, it literally is shut up. That was a bad word in my household growing up. But that's what Jesus said. It's like, shh. You ever ask somebody to do that? That drives me nuts. Like, shh. Who's the guy, you know, the, the dog trainer? Who's that guy? The, the, the dog whisperer? Yeah, yeah, he's got the shh. That's what it was. And they just, the dog would be quiet. And, and that's what's happening here. He would shh. Said Jesus sternly, come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out with him, from him, with a shriek. So I want to pause here. Hard pause here. Let's talk about it. Is demon possession real? It's as real as me and you in this room. We, we do have to acknowledge that there are angels. There is a spiritual realm. And we talk about angels, but we don't talk enough about demons. And there is, it is a real thing. Demons are real and active to this day, as well as angels, as much as we are in this room. Um, we have to acknowledge that. That's why Paul said we don't fight in flesh and blood. We fight in principalities and powers. Those things that we can't see is going on right now. Isn't that crazy? I don't truly understand. Like, I can't put my eyes on that. I just know it's true. Even more than there's a war going on in Ukraine, which breaks my heart. We spent uh, two weeks there in Ukraine, or a week there in Ukraine, investing in church planters. Church planters' wives five years ago I was there, and I know their heart, and it breaks my heart so much. I, I see their posts, and, and uh, man, it, it's, uh, God's given me a burden for those people. As much as that war is going on, even more so worldwide right now, there is a spiritual warfare going on. There is... It's a crazy thing. And that's what's happening here. In those days, there was an epidemic of demon possession. So it does beg the question, can a Christ follower, can a Christian be possessed? There's some people, many people actually today say that, 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 they, that you can. But as, again, we go back to Scripture. I don't have anything good to teach you today. If we go back to Scripture, do we ever see somebody who has put their faith in Jesus Christ in Scripture, do we ever see them possessed? No, we don't. And so 
I don't know why. I can't tell you why. I just know it to be true. We just don't find that in here. And and over and over, we find salvation uh, being defined as someone who has gone from living in darkness, someone who has been transformed, and they are a person of light. And so by definition, what is darkness? The absence of light. And so light and darkness don't cohabitate. And so it, it is impossible. I can give you more scriptures. I, I won't have time today, but if I were to encourage you, go and read 2 Corinthians chapter 6. It talks about that God dwells, his plan is to dwell in his people. God dwells in us, his people. And so it implies you, you cannot have a darkness when God's light is in you can go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. You can go to Romans 8, 37. You can go to 1 Corinthians 15, 37. 2 Corinthians 2, 14. 1 John 2, 13. And 1 John 4, 4. All of those talk about that we are victorious. We are, in Christ, we are victorious. It is impossible to live a life of defeat in, if you are in Christ. And, and in 4, 4 of 1 John, talks about the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. He is the seal of our salvation. And so, so it's just not possible for a Christian to be possessed, but it is very possible for a Christian to be oppressed by demons. And I feel personally like many times we are, and we just don't know it. So many times. In other words, like what's the difference between possession and oppression? Possession is, is that, that that demon is inside you. Listen, if you are in Christ, you are possessed by God in, in a good way. Like we are his royal and chosen possession. That, that, that's such a rich, cool thing. And so, so he is in us. So by very nature, the, these demons cannot be in us, but they can work from outside of us and oppress us. Certainly that is true. Where we leave off, y'all? Verse 23 and 24 and 25 so you have this demon, they're scared of Jesus in verse 24. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus says, be quiet. Now, another pause. Uh, so the rabbis had, uh, had a way to deal with, with, with demons. They had this litany that you would say when someone was possessed. And they would invoke a name of one of the heroes of the Old Testament. A lot of times, like the one that was used the most was the name of Solomon. Not sure why, that was just one. And so they would talk to the demon, and they would have this incantation, this litany, and they would say something like, in the name of Solomon, I speak to you, leave this child of God. It was a whole bunch of litanies there that they would do. Or they would say in the name of Isaiah, or they would say that in the name of you, you speak, in the name of Moses, or, or whoever. They would have this incantation to, to supposedly drive out this demon. Why? Because this was a normal thing. Like for us, it seems so weird to think about demon possession. For them, like this, this was a, almost a, a daily thing that they would experience. It was like an epidemic of demon demon possession. And so you have all these rabbinical writings from those days that kind of this magic incantation in the name of, leave this person. They would also do some weird stuff. They would pour water over these people who were possessed in hopes to, to wash and cleanse this person of that demon, cast out that demon. A really weird one was they would take feces and put it up to the person's nose to scare that demon away. That's weird, y'all. 
that's weird. And even extreme. There, there, there was one where they, they actually would cut a hole in the, in the possessed person's skull to let that demon out of their head. And then they would take that little bone and put it around a necklace, put it in an, on a necklace so that demon wouldn't come back. All of those were not abnormal things. These were normal things in those days. It seems strange to us, far-fetched. But here's what makes this story so good. Here's what makes this story so powerful. Jesus did none of that. I mean, there was no willow if you're a child of the 80s. There was no, if you're, if you're before that, like in the, the, the show Fantasia, there was no Mickey with his wand. You know, there was none of that. There was no Harry Potter stuff. What did, he, what did Jesus do? He just said, be quiet. And what happened? Boom. The demon, the demon left. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out, came out of him with a shriek. And what happened? The people were also, what's the word? Amazed. There's that word. They were blown away of his teaching. They were blown away of, of the, the power that he had over, over evil spirits. And they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching? And with, here's that word again, authority. Exousia, authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. So they were blown away. They were amazed. The second time we see that over and over, we're going to see that word amazed. But, but don't, don't take that word for granted. Every time you see amazed, it was so significant. It was groundbreaking stuff that they were seeing. Verse 29, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. It was Peter, right? Simon and, 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 and Andrew. We do have to realize when they went to this home, before we go on, uh, there was no such thing in those days as a single home, single family dwelling. So let me give you a picture of what that home would look like. There would have been multiple little home sites in this home, and the whole family lived there. They would kind of share in the middle. There was a courtyard where they were sharing. They would live life together in the middle, but literally in that complex, there would have been 50 to 60 people in a home. Can you imagine what that would look like? Would you like that? All of your family living right there in a complex? So when it says home, it's, it's not just Peter and his mom, right? It's, it's uh, some of you like, yes. I mean, most of you are like, mm, I don't know about that. Uh, but that's the, that's the picture of what's happening here. Uh, when, he, when they went to this home, it was a large amount of people. So verse 30, Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. And they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her. I love this. I love this. So he went to her. He took her hand and he helped her up. And the fever left her and she began to wait on them. She was completely healed. And it seems like, oh, she has a fever. It's not like today. Like there's no Tylenol in those days. There's no urgent care in those days. Like a simple fever. It could have been something as simple as just a, like a week ago, a week and a half ago, my daughter had strep throat. She was running a high fever. Like back then, psh, that had been the end, y'all. Without the medicine, we take that for granted. Back then, like this was, it was a fever. She, we don't know what she had, but she, she had a fever. And so, they, so because of that, Jesus went to her, verse 31, verse 31, and he took her hand. I love that. 
Jesus is so personal. You know, Jesus could have, like nowadays, when you see healing on TV, could have taken his cloak and be like, be healed, right? I mean, he could have done whatever he wanted to do. He, whatever. I mean, there were times where he just spoke it, and they were miles and miles away, and they were healed. But this one, to me, is so personal. Jesus went to her, possibly having this communicable disease, this contagious disease, right? As a fever, probably was. And he took her hand, and he helped her up. Mm, Jesus is so personal. He took her by the hand. I love how personal that he is. And what happened? She began to wait on them. <laughs> she, was, she was so healed, she began to wait on them. And some of you are like, man, that's just, what? Like, like, this is such a sexist passage, right? She began, like, that's what, that's what she's supposed to do, right? No, 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 that's not what it's talking about. You see, the, the, the mother of the home, the matriarch of this, this complex, like, she loved that. This was her joy. She, she would love to have had her family. And, and you ladies can imagine, when you have your family over for Thanksgiving, like, yes, it's a lot of work, but, man, it's so life-giving. There's so much joy. And so she was sick, and she couldn't do what she loved to do. And so now Jesus took her by the hand and helped her up, and she immediately not only felt better, she began doing what gives her joy. See, Jesus heals not partially. He heals completely. That's what happens here. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. Verse 32, that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. Word got out. They're like, man, this guy, he's teaching, and he's doing things no one's ever done before. And so they're bringing all these people who were sick and demon-possessed, so many others. The whole town, about 1,500 people in that day, by the count that I could find, about 1,500 people. A lot of people come into one house. 1,500 people, the whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Word was getting out. And in my in mine, it has a space, and then it goes on to Jesus praying in a solitary place. But do realize that there's not a space in the original text. This is all one story. So let's read it as one story. Very early in the morning, the same, same 24 hours, right? Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, and he left the house, and he went off, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. What were they saying? Hey, Jesus, you're a hot item, right? You're trending on Twitter. <laughs> you got some momentum, Jesus. What are you doing? Everybody's here to see you. They want to listen to you teach. What are you doing? And Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Hmm, very interesting. Jesus got away to be with the Father. And out of that, there was a real confidence in who he was and what he was here to do. We could learn from that, couldn't we? And so we traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Can I encourage you to notice three things? We're going to read the rest here in a moment for our closing. But can we notice three things from that 24-hour window of Jesus' ministry? The first, I'd love you to notice, love for you to notice this. Jesus intentionally served in both the synagogue and the home. So, so those to me are pictures of, of our lives. It's the gathering place of those who 
proclaim, to believe. So there's the gathering of the saints. Jesus did ministry there. He did ministry in the synagogue, and he did ministry in the home. Jesus did both. See, there's a myth out there that Jesus was anti-organized religion. That's not true. Jesus was a rabbi. He, he taught in that place that was organized. Now, he didn't love the religious leaders of the day. We know that. They were teaching a lot of things that just weren't true. And he, he, he did a good job of trying to straighten them out and kind of understand that's not true. This is true. But, but he did ministry in the gathering places of the people who were pursuing God. He did ministry there. And then he turned around in the same day. He did ministry in the home. There's another myth that Jesus, that Jesus wasn't about information. Jesus is about transformation. And I, I, get that, I get that. Like Jesus isn't just about information. And yes, of course, Jesus is about transformation. Like that is why he came. He came to transform us from, from not having life to having life, from living in darkness to living in light. Certainly that is true. Can we acknowledge that today? That was his mission, to seek and to save those that are lost. That's why he came. Right? But Jesus was also informational. He, he came to teach. He was teaching. This is what was so astonishing. He was teaching, but not like any normal teacher. And so Jesus is about information. I think information is so essential that we understand truth. And that takes us studying and, and gaining information just like we are right now. We're, we're learning together. I'm learning who God is. I'm learning who Jesus is. It's so important that we who proclaim to be followers of Jesus don't just come and do the things of church. We learn together what it means to be a true follower, disciple of Jesus Christ. You see, we need both. We, we need to be about, as we are right now, the gathering of the saints and doing ministry there. And we certainly need to be about the, we could say that this is the gathering. We need to be about the scattering, all the things outside this place. We need to be about doing ministry here for one another. I think that's so important. And we take that very serious. This shepherding of each other, caring for one another is so important. We, the body of Christ, needs to care for one another. Ministry has to happen here, but it has to happen in the highways, highways and byways of life, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools, wherever that is. It, all of that is important. And if we're not experiencing both of those, both the gathering and the scattering, we're missing out on the kingdom of God. Jesus was modeling this for us. It leads to the second thing. Jesus saw the home as an anchor for ministry and mission. This, one's a, this one, as I thought about my life, I'm guilty of not doing this sometimes. As I think about ministry, like when I say ministry, what, what do you think of? Right here. Right here. You see, the enemy has given us a lie to say that this place, this incredible building that God has gifted us is the center of ministry for Jesus. That was never the paradigm in Scripture. Our homes are the epicenter of ministry and mission. 
you ministry is serving, serving God's family, serving your family. And then there's mission, this idea of mission, that we are here to serve those people outside the family of God. Listen, the center of both of those is not here. The center of both of those for me is 15615 Connie Lane. That's the center for me of, of ministry and mission. That's where it begins. And men, I'm talking to you as I'm talking to myself. Listen, when we leave our full-time job, whatever, you, whatever it is, and some of you women have a full-time job to provide for your family, when we leave that place, we're leaving our part-time job and going home to our full-time job. This, what, what does that mean for me? Well, I can't wear myself out during the day, and I love doing what I do. I love it doing what I do. I can't expend myself during the day and not have anything left for my family when I get home. Because there's such a big difference between being present and being fully present, right? And I'm guilty. preaching to myself. I'm guilty of this. Pouring myself out and my family gets the leftovers. Jesus says, no, no, no. No, No, I'm going to invest in the home. I'm going to have a home and I'm going to let that home be the anchor for ministry and mission. What else does that mean? That means that our home needs to be that primary place of hospitality for those we're doing ministry and mission toward. That, that, that is our home. So many times I think of my home as the place to go to get away from ministry. Uh-uh. What happened in this story? Where did Jesus go to get away? He went away into the wilderness. That's the same word as we studied earlier on in Mark chapter 1. He went away, away from people. And so if you want to get away in a place of rest, listen, our, our home is a place to expend ourselves, to, to love on our spouses, to love on our kids, to raise them up in the ways of Christ, to love on our neighbors. This is so true. And when we need, and it needs to be often, and the more and more busy we are pouring ourselves out, the more and more we need to get away and refresh ourselves. And Jesus modeled that for us. That leads to the third thing. Jesus created margin to have time with the Father. He created it. And as we study the scriptures, we look at the gospels, these, these first-hand, second-hand chronicles of the life of Jesus, the more and more he did ministry, the more and more he got away to be with the Father. You got to create margin. We all need that. Jesus' point of renewal was to go away into the wilderness. I would ask you today, what's your point of renewal? How do you create your time intentionally, the margin to spend time daily, weekly, monthly with the Father? All right. All that being said, let's close this up. Verse 41. Let's finish the 24-hour day of Jesus. A man with leprosy came to him, who is that Jesus, and begged him on his knees. By the way, uh, where is this happening? Most scholars think we pick up in verse 39, so we travel throughout Galilee preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So, so we start in, in our passage today in the synagogue, and now we're ending up in the synagogue. Most scholars think that that's where we pick up right here. Uh, remember, that's not a break, verse 39 and 40. There's no break there. This is one story. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. I want to stop there. I don't have the time today to go into leprosy, but the leprosy was the most feared disease of that day. It was just horrible. 
There are so many things that happen to your body, and you would look like a monster after a while, and then your hands and feet would swell up, and your toes begin to fall up, and it took 10 years for that disease to kill you. That's horrible. 10 years for leprosy to kill you. But even worse than that, all the physical things, you are a complete outcast. Leprosy took your life away. You could not be near anybody. If you were within anybody, you had to yell out. 50 feet was the number. You couldn't be within 50 feet of anybody. And if you were going to get within that, you had, to, you had to yell out, unclean, unclean, to proclaim that you can have no community, no life with those people. Man, it took everything away from them. And Jesus was, verse 41, indignant. I wonder... Why was Jesus indignant? What is indignant? I went to the dictionary. It is feeling or showing anger or annoyance at what is perceived as unfair treatment. So literally, like the way we say it around here, uh, it is that ain't, when you see something, you're indignant, that ain't right. You know, you know like there's, this is not okay, that ain't right. So why was Jesus, at what was he indignant about? I think that he was indignant about that, the life that leprosy has taken away from this sick man. And when he saw that, we don't get it in this passage, but over and over within Scripture, we find that he, is, he was literally broken over with compassion toward people when they were sick and broken. So Jesus was indignant. He would say, that's not okay. That sickness had taken away your life, and that is not Okay. And he reached out his hand. He didn't didn't just stop there. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Now, uh, do know that the rabbis couldn't do that. If they touched someone with leprosy, they were considered unclean. They couldn't do what they were supposed to do. They They were to be separate, not to touch. And, and, like, why would Jesus do this? I think it's a model for us. It says so much about the way God is toward us. Listen, we don't get well before we go to the doctor, right? That's, we, we can't. So many people, like, Jesus is like, he's, the, he's, he's God. He can't have anything to do with, with unclean things. Listen, that is true that God is God is this infinite God, and he can't have anything to do with darkness. But at the same time, he is incarnate, walking with the sickness and sin. He is immersed in it. The leper was not only healed here, but he was cleansed. And here's the truth. The unclean are made clean in God's presence. The unclean are made clean in God's presence. We, we cannot be clean. We cannot be healed outside of a personal, very personal connection, relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Verse 43, Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See, what you don't tell this to, see that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded as your cleansing as a testimony to them. All right, this is also something that's so important. What did Jesus direct him to do? Do what it says in Leviticus to do when you're you're healed. Go to the temple and go to the priest and proclaim this and do the the regular rites. Why was that so important? Lepers couldn't go to the temple. So not only did it take their, their relationship life away, they couldn't go. They could not even worship. 
They couldn't even make sacrifices in the temple because they were lepers. But Jesus heals him and directs him to go to the temple. And instead, he didn't do it, but Jesus said, go and do it. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. And as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Listen, there's a sermon there about there's always consequences to our disobedience. I don't have time, but that'll preach. There's always consequences from our disobedience, ramifications to it. Yet, God still is on his throne. Yet, God, yet the people still came to him from everywhere. They were, God still did his, his work. Listen, this is not only a picture, this last one, and any, all of these, not only a picture of this leper, of this woman with a fever, of this man who was possessed by demons. These are a picture of us. These are a picture of us. Once we were not able to be in the presence of God. But if you were in Christ, man, we're lickety split in it right now. That is our story. And as Jesus begins his ministry, we learn clearly that his reign and the kingdom of God would be characterized by wholeness and freedom. God is the God of freedom. And Jesus says, as he does his ministry for this 24 hours, listen, if you need healing, if you need freedom, it is in me. As you look at this passage, who had the best theology in Mark chapter, in our passage, verse 21 to 24? Well, I know the Sunday school answer is Jesus. I know that because give that, I give that to you. Who had the best theology here? The demons. No one else really yet understood. Jesus' disciples did not yet understand who Jesus was, but the demons saw Jesus like this is the Holy One of God. This says to me, the band's going to come up, we're going to have a closing song. It it says to me that, that just because we are in church doesn't mean we have it all together. Listen, we don't. And if we're honest, if we were to take what's the inside of us today, work with me. If we were to take what was inside of us today, our hurt, our brokenness, our pain, our shame, our dysfunction, it would be nauseating. It would be nauseating. We're all just like them in the story. But when Jesus looks at us, guess what? He is indignant. Let that rest. What does that mean? He's not indignant at you or me. He's indignant at our pain. He's indignant of your pain, your brokenness, your suffering, your dysfunction, your ailment. I I just ask you to name your ailment today. As I look at this, this is what Jesus is saying to us. He's saying, look, that ain't okay. That ain't right. It's not okay. You were not designed to live in brokenness. You were not designed to live in pain. You're not designed to have this ailment, this sickness in your life. And he looks at me and sees mine. He looks at yours and sees you, sees yours. And what does he do? He doesn't say, shame on you. Get away from me. You liver in darkness. He doesn't say that. He 
I love that. He reaches out his hand and says, look, you need healing? Look at me. Reach out. Choose me. Today, that's really my invitation. It's really two things for all of us. Listen, we all have brokenness. We all have pain today. There's something in our lives we need healing from. I don't know what that is. But today, realize this, that Jesus is two things, as we said the first week in this message series. Jesus is able. He's so powerful. I mean, he's, that demon was gone. That's so amazing. Whatever your battle is today, Jesus is bigger. Jesus is better. He is able. Second thing is he is accessible. He's an accessible king. He is with us. He's walking with us. And if you have that darkness in your life, listen, light is right here walking beside us. And so first invitation is just choose Jesus. Would you today reach out to Jesus? If, if you've got something in your life and you've never experienced Jesus, may I just invite you to come find me up here during this song of response? And, and let's get that settled. If you've got significant hurt and brokenness in your life, listen, let's be like the leper. What did the leper do? He came to Jesus and he got on his knees and said, you are able, heal me. Listen, that's got to be our response to Jesus today. And the second is this, our response has got to be that we have got to be amazed. If you come today and you've, you've heard God's word and you don't leave amazed, listen, your, your ears are closed and your heart is hardened. We have to leave being able to celebrate that Jesus is with us and he is able, he has chosen us in spite of us to come to just talk to him and walk, walk with him and to be a part of his mission. And we can celebrate that today. And, just, and that's just amazing. He is amazing. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. Your word is so rich and good. Why is it so rich and good? Because it points us to you and it helps us understand to get more information about how amazing you are. And Jesus, all of us have that hurt and pain somewhere in our life. Jesus, we come and we, we bow our knee to you. We know there's no other place where there's freedom and healing. It is you. It is you, Jesus Christ. So we kneel before you. Jesus, have your way. Heal us. Save us. Remove those things from our lives that need to be removed. And Jesus, we respond in worship today. We praise you because you do redeem. We praise you because you are with us. We praise you because of your grace, faithfulness, and your mercy. We praise you because of your blood that so completely redeems us. Once we were a people that had no chance of having life and enter your blood. And so today we, we stand up and we celebrate and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray.